Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. Tribe. This is Lorna Liana, host of Entheo Nation. Welcome back to another episode where today we're going to explore the mystical side of magic mushrooms with Shauna Holm, who is an author, shamanic practitioner, and bee steward. Now, psilocybin mushrooms are amazing organisms, in my opinion. According to arrowwood.org, there are over 180 species of psilocybin mushrooms that we know of with a long history of use. Now, we're talking hundreds and possibly even thousands of years in Mexico and in other parts of the world. Even though New Mexico decided that growing magic mushrooms wasn't illegal in 2005, psilocybin is illegal everywhere else in the United States and considered to be a Schedule One drug along with heroin and LSD. Schedule One drugs, quote-unquote, have a high potential for abuse and serve no legitimate medical purpose in the United States, according to the Department of Justice. However, modern science has shown magic mushrooms to have many therapeutic applications. In a study conducted by the University of South Florida, psilocybin mushrooms have been found to stimulate the growth of new brain cells, which suggests that they can actually be used to physically rebuild a damaged brain. In a study of 15 volunteers by King's College London, psilocybin was found to dramatically transform the participants' brain organization, stimulating long-range connections that the brain normally wouldn't make, resulting in a hyper-connected brain. Professor David Nutt, who is a renowned neuropsychopharmacologist based at Imperial College London, has been pioneering brain imaging studies on how both LSD and psilocybin affect healthy adults. The results are promising for researchers and patients alike. Psilocybin was found to switch off the part of the brain that causes depression. Psilocybin mushrooms have also been shown to be effective in the treatment of cluster headaches and end-of-life anxiety. Beyond the promising medicinal applications of psilocybin mushrooms, there's also a wide range of interesting effects that they seem to have on people who consume them, such as experiencing oneness with the universe experiencing oneness with nature, seeing bizarre other worlds that appear to coexist in parallel dimensions to our own, alien visitations, spontaneous outbursts of laughter and divine comedy, and that nagging suspicion that the mushrooms are actually talking to you. So we're going to dive into the mystical side of mushrooms today to get an understanding of what they might actually want from us and how we might actually be able to communicate with them in order to receive their wisdom and healing in our lives. If you'd like to learn more about magic mushrooms, we've included a list of resources in the show notes at entheonation.com slash seven. And if you'd like to receive a free transcript of this episode, simply text Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to get access to premium content that's only available to bona fide citizens of Entheonation. If you like this episode, I'd so appreciate if you would take the time to rate and review the show, as this will increase Entheonation's visibility in iTunes and help us get this life-changing information out to the people who need it. Now, on to the show. Hello, Visionary Nation. This is Lorna Liana, and I'm here today with a medicine sister. Her name is Shauna Home, and she is an author, shamanic practitioner, teacher, and 
public speaker who has become a feminine voice for the reverent shamanic use of psilocybin mushrooms. Her book, Love and Spirit Medicine, chronicles her mystical journey through the end of her marriage into a focused exploration of entheogenic mushrooms. Uh, Shauna travels around the country teaching the shamanic arts and sharing wisdom gleaned from the mushroom intelligences. In addition, she is a beekeeper, a bee venom therapist, and she's got a book about that subject coming up in 2015. Now, Shauna and I have never met in person, but I already feel that we are soul sisters in some way, and so I'm so grateful to have you on the show, Shauna. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Lorna, so much. I'm so honored to be here. This is going to be a good conversation today. I know, and I can't wait to read your book. So, um, so I'm kind of curious because I did read the description of your book, and I'm so intrigued by it. And I know that in your book, uh, Love and Spirit Medicine, you share very intimately your shamanic journeys with the mushroom and its effects on your personal life, uh, especially your journey through your uh, romantic breakup. So... I'm kind of curious to know what called you to share such a personal journey because, you know, I'm uh, uh, somewhat of a public figure also, and I do want to share about my personal experiences as well. And I find that there's a delicate balance between sharing about personal life, sharing uh, wisdom that, you know, you want to make available to the world through your, you know, your, your true calling, which is, you know, the shamanic arts. And of course, how do you speak about other people in a way that also respects their privacy? So what called you to share your personal journey? When I uh, started working with the uh, the mushroom, it was because it had was really calling to me. And before that, I didn't do any recreational anything. I don't drink nothing. But I had been a voracious student of shamanism for a number of years. And, and I tried ayahuasca briefly, and that was incredible. But it came to me, this is not your medicine. And the mushroom was, was calling me. And so I had a dear friend who lived in uh, a beautiful part of Washington, just surrounded by rainforest and moss and he works with these uh, plants and so I asked him if he would induct me with the mushroom and uh, and so he did and that's how I got into it and we did it through ceremony and we even said our first night when we were uh, out in the woods in this beautiful area and we were like whoa we don't have our own have a shaman to guide us here so we're gonna have to bring all our own integrity and our humility into this. And that is precisely what we did. We did a ceremony and I didn't know what to expect, Lorna. And, and then I took five dried grams, which is a lot, and, uh, and, and, and experienced uh, through that very profound healing and, and a direct connection and discussion with the earth, with Mother Earth. And I call her Mama. And after that occurred, it was all I could think about because I realized, my God, this is a portal. This is an ancient teacher. And I think the plants and the fungi, those are the ancient teachers, the, the gods and goddesses, uh, truly. And so we had tapped into that, and I wanted to experience it again, which I did the following month, again with this friend of mine. And um, in any case, I, at that point, started reading every book I could find on the subject and they were all written by men. And, and they were also rather academic. And so I, I was seeking something written by a woman. And, and I wanted a woman's telling of like, what, what happens to you when you do this medicine? And, and I am a writer. And so I just was journaling. And I ended up writing that book. And it chronicles uh, over a year of, of taking that medicine every month five dry grams out in nature in the dark, lying down. And there aren't too many um, middle-aged suburban women doing that. <laughs> but, you know, it was a soul calling. And I realized now looking back, I was in a type of training. It has deepened my shamanic work profoundly and changed me in every way. And so I'm very glad to have shared that book. And yes, it is very personal. It's very vulnerable. Uh, the names are changed of all the people within that uh, telling. And, uh, and it's told very respectfully, and I explore shadow 
a lot, my own personal shadow. So I really put it out there. And that is also in an effort to bring some humanity into the discussion, into this very commercial society that we live in that's all about labels. And, you know, and, and you, we're identifying with so much that is superficial. And so this, this book is, uh, goes into, you know, the humanity and it goes into relationship because life is relationship. It's our relationship with each other and with ourselves and with the earth. So, so yes, there's, there's your answer. <laughs> I think that's one of the perspectives that I find really missing in many of the, you know, books and the accounts of, um, uh, of shamanic medicines and, you know, psychedelic science that I've been, you know, seeing, you know, that um, uh, many of the male thought leaders have produced in the world. There seems to be a lot more focus around the chemistry of these, uh, uh, these substances and, you know, the ethnobotanical uses in history or the, the history of, um, you know, psychedelics in the 60s. But I don't really see much regarding healing on a deeply personal level and especially a journey that takes you into an intimate relationship with the earth. And I think that that, um, for me, seems like a very feminine perspective. You're exactly right. And plant medicines have long been the domain of women. And, and if you look back through, you know, what little history we have on these women, uh, there were women who worked with these visionary medicines and went into Oracle. They would allow spirits to come through and then bring healing to their communities. And this was done in the Mayan communities uh, by the priestesses of Ishel. This was done by the Volva, V-O-L-V-A, in the Norse traditions. And of course, the oracles at Delphi and Dodona and the other temples there. So women uh, have a very different, I think, experience of this medicine. Because you know what? Men and women are wired differently. I know we all want to be the same in this ridiculous society we're in. We're not. We're wired differently. Our brains are structured differently. You know, just on a biological level, we're different. <laughs> we are. We are. And it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I know. Celebrate it. <laughs> exactly. And so, and women are naturally wired for relationship and communication. We, we are. And so we would, I, uh, I see that we would take plant medicine and, and, and go in in a very different way. And it would be, yes, very much about uh, relationship. And, um, and I also have a critical thinking mind. I mean, I bring that in, in uh, as well. And after these journeys, I will work with them as if I am working with a dream because they're deeply symbolic. And at the same time, you have been Invited into your body a plant intelligence. And so the guys, uh, particularly, you know, in our material science, it wants to reduce everything to the sum of its parts. It removes it from its context, from its environment, and it studies it, it picks it apart, and it studies just essentially the microcosm. And, um, and yes, okay, it's, uh, it's uh, psilocin and, and whatever other you know, factors are in that mushroom that create this experience. Uh, but they are missing the larger piece. This is an intelligence. And, and you can reduce it all you want. But you know what also the mushroom has said to me in terms of, uh, uh, you know, sort of bringing it into society, it says, I am that which will not be civilized. I am that which will not be legitimized. I am a mystery. And I, I, I always will be, right? And so that's the other thing too. Uh, I don't know that medicine inside and out. I would never, ha I don't have that kind of hubris to say, well, yes, it's this. Yes, I've figured it all out. It's a mystery. It is a great mystery. <laughs> yes. And I think women, many of us can really get that. And so bring that uh, humility into the table that is not something to dominate. Quite the opposite. It's got our number, big time. And it will teach you if you've got the humility, you know, if you show up with that and, uh, and a desire to learn, it will, it will whisper secrets into your ears. And it certainly has done so for me, and I'm sure for you as well. 
You know, what was really fascinating with my experience with mushrooms, I will say that ayahuasca is my medicine. Like it, it, it's, it, it's that, it's that sense of like, okay, you know, I can respect the other plant medicines like peyote, for example, San Pedro, you know, mushrooms, but I feel like my relationship with ayahuasca is something that's going to be lifelong. But one thing that I found really fascinating because I uh, have, uh, um, you know, been so intrigued by the visionary landscapes that I've seen with ayahuasca that for a long time, I associated it with that particular plant teacher. And then I had this experience where I sat up in ceremony with a, um, uh, with a, a woman, I, I refer to her as Madrinha Julieta. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a um, Mazatec mushroom shaman from Mexico. And uh, we did a ceremonial work and she served us the uh, uh, Nino Santos, which were these little tiny psilocybin mushrooms. I, I don't know how many uh, species there are per se in the world. Would you know how many species of psilocybin mushrooms exist? There's a lot. There's a I lot. There's a, you know, I think something like 50, but who knows? Maybe someone like Paul Stamets, the uh, you know mycologist yeah. will know. But um, And so what, one thing that I found was interesting was that the difference in personality that ayahuasca and the Nino Santos have. So the mushrooms were so much more childlike, bubbly, uh, humorous, um, yes. you know, whereas ayahuasca can, can be kind of like epic and primordial and okay, you know, these are the lessons you have to learn, you know, but you're doing okay, but these are the lessons. And, uh, and one thing that I found was that some of the visual visionary landscapes that I saw in ayahuasca, I saw in the mushrooms. So that indicated to me that these worlds are not necessarily um, linked per se to the specific plant medicine. They are the worlds that exist inside of you or us, you know, specifically. And so that was a, a wonderful experience that I had with the mushrooms. It kind of made me appreciate so much more my inner world. Yes, because the universe is within us. We are the microcosm of the macrocosm. First of all, we are nature. We're the reflection of nature and we're the reflection of the cosmos as well. Even the way the planets revolve around each other, you will see that within uh, the atoms and molecules of the cells in our body. And so it's all about going inward and you can tap into all of that, all of that. It's, you know, the whole metaphor, everything is metaphor that you see, everything. And then within our body, uh, it is, it's, it's metaphor. And so, yeah, you go within the mind and the mind, it's like, all right, well, we've got this brain in our heads. And so I guess that's the mind, but <laughs> it's, that's really a mystery as well. So yeah, you're absolutely bang on about going thin. So why do you think there are so many people these days seeking out plant medicines? I mean, I feel like the whole ayahuasca world has exploded uh, mm-hmm. with people uh, coming forward and serving the medicine and all these groups that are kind of like taking place, um, you know, somewhat clandestine, clandestinely yeah. in the United States and in other countries where the legality is kind of still a bit of a gray area. Um, you know, why uh, are you seeing explosion in plant medicine? and shamanism yourself? Yeah, I I am. And I get sometimes bombarded by people who want me to, you know, shaman for them uh, because I do do that work, I will say, once in a while, very carefully. And I consider it a form of uh, midwifery, actually, one-on-one. And you know what? I say that to you and, uh, and, and, and I don't worry sort of about the illegality per se, of saying this, because you know what? It's just hearsay, you know, like prove it, prove that, you know what I mean? I can say whatever I want. It's just hearsay. In any case, uh, in terms of people being drawn to this medicine, uh, there is nothing of any depth and meaning in this modern culture. I am sorry there is not. I find it repugnant. I really do. It blows my mind. I don't watch TV. I really stay away from the whole sort of media machine as much as I can. It's just, I can see right through it. I can see into the manipulation. It is very, very superficial. Well, we are human beings and we have been seduced into this modern culture and taken away from our natural state. And people do seek meaning. 
And so they can seep the superficial for a certain amount of time, but it just leaves them cold and they know there's more. They know there's more. And I see that that is why there's so much depression and apathy and violence because people have not been able to touch the sacred and we naturally, very naturally want to do that. And so these plant medicines come around and people start hearing about this and they uh, have an experience where they have a direct experience with something very mysterious and very profound and it touches them very deeply you're not going to get that with anything even a book and books are amazing things i read i've got many of them behind me but a plant medicine will take you into very uh what i call the territory of the sacred and guess what that is it's a you it's me. This is the territory of the sacred. The plant takes you deeply, deeply in there, and you see things that you that had never even occurred to you before. I mean, it opens you to so much, and this is what we are in desperate need of. And especially, you can see what a mess the society is, because look at how we are destroying the earth. As you and I speak, they are continuing to you know, cut off mountaintops in Appalachia. The military, which is in bed with the U.S. Forest Service, is wanting to conduct electromagnetic warfare games in the pristine Olympic rainforest. Like, stuff you can't even, like, to someone who thinks rationally, with reason, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. So this is how far we have strayed. And so the plant medicines also, I think, this is Mother Earth calling her children back. Mm -hmm. Call children away from the false paradigm and back to what is real. And people feel that because we are real. We are nature. This body is nature. We are earth beings. And so that is, it, it's, it sparks something. It is familiar to us in some strange way. And, uh, and so, yes, of course, people are flocking to this. Now, the problem, of course, is we need more good shamans. Oh my God. Yes. Tell me about it. Yes. I mean, I stopped drinking ayahuasca in the West because of people, you know, too many encounters with people who weren't really holding the space in an integrity-based way, especially since you see a lot of these ayahuasca circles, they can make a lot of money and they're charging people, you know, $200, $300 per person. And if they're paying rent, their rent with this, uh, with this money and it has like a personal, like, then they're personally enmeshed in the economics and the business of serving medicine. And I've had you know, far too many experiences where people, in one particular scenario, there was a, a big upset over, you know, money at a particular work that I was participating in. And the person leading the work started screaming about it. And mm. that was like, you know, and in, in from since I, most of my experience in is in Brazil, where there's more of a holistic culture of ayahuasca, that is just not heard of. You know, you don't do that. And so, yeah, having more good shamans, I'd love to hear more from you about what that means and what you've been observing in this space. Well, I will say with the mushroom, uh, as I had said before, you know, we didn't have a shaman to guide us. And, and, and really, the truth is they murdered most of those people. You know, the uh, Catholic yeah. Church did a very good job over the years. Uh, the fact that you found your way to, I think it's, is that Doña Julieta, one of the 13 grandmas who you sat yes. with? Yes. Oh, she's lovely. I love her. She's so great. <laughs> uh, I love the grandmas. And so this is what we, what we need. And I feel, yes, yes, there are some good men out there who hold beautiful space. And the women have been really... Uh, well, they have to be very, very careful, the women, because, of course, you know, they can take your children away. They can do all sorts of things. And 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 um, and we see what um, has been done to women over the centuries, you know, women who worked the magical arts, women who knew the medicines were tortured and murdered. So we have to be very, very careful. Not that that's going to happen to us today, but other things will. But women hold that space, certain of us, with great humility and reverence. And so in terms of, you know, I am a shamanic practitioner and I work with clients and I get paid to do that because I have two daughters to feed in a house. And, you know, I mean, so I sat in ceremony with a woman once, Patricia Ann Davis, who's a fourth generation Navajo medicine woman. And we, uh, it wasn't a medicine ceremony, but uh, we received a different kind of, of medicine from her in any case. But she said, look, we paid to be there. I can't pay my bills with a feather and a stone. I mean, this is, we're in a commercial culture right now. We've been, you know, removed from that traditional culture. So 
This is how it looks like. However, when it comes to the medicine, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a, I, I, and I don't, I, I don't want to judge, but I'm just a little bit like my eyebrows are raised. Like, wow, this is, they've turned this ancient medicine into quite a money-making adventure. And uh, if I do that with someone, which is rare, um, it's one-on-one. -on -one. And yes, I charge, but it's a very different, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to get rich off that. You know what I mean? It's just, you're going to spend, I'm going to stay up almost all night with you and be your midwife. Yes. You know, I'm going to ask for a little dough, but you know, I'm not, I don't do groups. I don't do groups. And I understand that, um, you know, with the ayahuasca, that is uh, a part of it. But anyway, I just, uh, I'm very, I, I don't feel so great about that. It concerns me because also I see, ah, well, we are taking something that is ancient, very, very ancient, these plant teachers, and we're trying to bring them into, we're, we're commercializing them. We're commercializing them. And so, you know, this just, it's, it's, this is a very large discussion that we can't cover possibly here, you know, mm -hmm. in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But there's so much to this ethically and legally mm -hmm. and, and, and everything else. But uh, for myself, that's not how I make my money, you know, in terms of like having large groups and charging you know, and here, come do the mushrooms with me, nor would I risk myself anyway, because I do have two daughters and, you know, you can't control necessarily who comes to those groups either. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, true. it's mm -hmm. very, it's mm -hmm. quite a risky operation. I must say, mm -hmm. you know, until this stuff gets legalized and uh, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. So I, I uh, we can we can bookmark that discussion uh, perhaps for another episode. You know, down the road. Love this episode? You can receive the transcript for free by simply texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, -E to the number four four two two two. All you need to do is to reply to the SMS message with your best email address and we'll send you the transcript and our guide to navigating visionary states for free as a VIP citizen of Entheo Nation. I want to continue this conversation about how women shamans, because one of the things that I noticed uh, when I spent a lot of time with the tribes in Brazil is that you know the ro gender roles are, are are split rather clearly, where women pretty much are responsible for the household domain, and the men you know they do the hunting and they do certain types of work, and so it's pretty much almost always the men who receive shamanic training because rarely do you ever have a scenario where if a woman is demonstrating a skill and gifts with the plants, it's very rare that her husband will say, oh, honey, you are so talented with this medicine. Why don't you go with the shaman and I will take care of the kids, clean the house and get the water. <laughs> that almost never happens so we don't see that many women shamans at all in the amazon from what i see and uh, and so i'm kind of curious to know like what your take is on women shamans you know in the modern world and you know, I know that, you know, the uh, in the colonial times, we killed off many of the medicine men and women. But, you know, what do you think uh, could be done to really kind of uh, support more women in uh, walking the path of medicine woman and serving in this way? Wow, that's a really, really good question. First of all, I do want to say there is a book written by Barbara Tedlock, PhD, called The Woman in the Shaman's Body, and I would recommend that to all the uh, listeners. It's a very, very good book, and it goes into how how the majority of the shamans, it seems, over the years were actually women, were women. What happened? Yeah, well, as uh, colonialization took place, I think, um, and as you know, what I actually think happened was the industrial age happened mm. you know, for all of us because it took all of us out of our more natural state of being self-sustaining and living off the land and, and having these smaller communities and into this very, uh, uh, it's so funny, Neil Kramer, who you should interview, he's awesome. He calls it machine culture and I call it factory culture. So we're on the same page, you know? And so 
that whole sort of magical side, because women, I say this, we are naturally more intuitive, we are, and we are naturally more irrational, we are. And I don't mean irrational in the way that people are thinking, but that ability to leave the rational and enter the irrational, you know, so we have a natural proclivity for that. But it's also just modern culture, we've been so sucked into this, we got to pay the bills, you know, and then hopefully we, you know, if we have children, we've got to raise our children somehow. I mean, there's so many responsibilities that get in the way. And, and again, like no one, when I was a little girl, I had clear cognizance and clear sentience where I, I would have knowings. I called them confirmations, but there was no one to take my hand and walk me down to the lady who lives on the outskirts of the village, that nice lady there who works with all those medicines, you know what I mean? And, and maybe have a sit down and have her do a little scan and then work with me. There's, we don't have that in our culture. So first of all, we just, first of all, have to even just bring that awareness in that this stuff has merit, that this work has merit. And, uh, and I teach teleclasses. I call them Tuesday teleclass. And I'm teaching a teleclass this month called 21st Century Shamanism and going into, you know, how do we bring this into modern society? And does it have relevance? Well, I think you and I know, and the listeners, it has tremendous relevance in terms of the shamanic arts. Incredible. The soul retrieval, the entity removal, depossession work, the curse unraveling, all of that has tremendous relevance because none of our, uh, the way we relate humanly, that hasn't changed. And we still have problems and issues and traumas and wounds and all of that that must be dealt with. And, you know, conventional psychiatry, I think, is, is doing a really piss poor job. The way they are passing out antidepressants like Pez candies, mm. you know, to children and mm. teenagers and, you know, good people like you and I. I mean, I would never touch that stuff. That stuff alters your brain chemistry. And so, you know, there is, and then of course, the shamanic woman, and particularly the woman, it's uh, mocked, it's kind of sneered at. There is a bias still in the culture. My girls' friends, some of them, I think they think I'm a hippie, <laughs> which is so funny. <laughs> Yeah, and they just sort of don't get it. They don't get it. So we've got to uh, raise more awareness around what this is and that it's not new age either. That stuff's crap. It has nothing to do with it. This stuff is ancient. It's old, old, old. I call it a technology. Only the technology is working with the technology of nature. Mm-hmm. And those uh, nature spirits and our ancestors, we are multidimensional beings, We can access all of that. We've just been kept in this little teeny tiny bubble of awareness. It's just a perception. You know, one thing I I like to kind of remind people of, um, especially when I have conversations and they kind of get really into the whole, you know, scientific verification of, you know, phenomena. I'm like, you know, the Newtonian Cartesian worldview is really only 200 years old, whereas the spiritual, you know, shamanic worldview is like tens of thousands of years old. Of course, of course. And you hear often they will make these discoveries and it's like, oh yeah, the whatever, the guru guys over in India have known that for thousands of years or the Chinese, have been, they knew that forever. You know, the Nadis and the body, the meridians and all of that, the energy meridians. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, and, and you know, I think science is, it's, it's a great thing. It's great. And I read a lot of Rudolf Steiner and, and Rudolf Steiner was uh, born in Austria in 1860, died in, or 1861, died in 1923. I think. And he was a multifaceted genius. And as a child, he was clairvoyant. He could see and and, and the plants would talk to him, the trees would talk to him. And, And then he grew up to get very, very incredibly educated. I mean, botany, engineering, mathematics, um, uh, homeopathy, I mean, extraordinary genius. And he created what he called spiritual science, where he wove the wisdom of the ancients in with science saying, look, You cannot just pull something out of its environment and reduce it down to the sum of its parts. You must take into consideration the invisible forces behind that, that that cause it to be. And those forces come from the cosmos, from the uh, magnetics of the planets and constellations, and forces from the Earth. You can't see them, but they're, they're there. And you must consider all of that or else you are going to miss 
quite a bit, and you only get a very limited view of, of the subject you are studying, what he called the material science paradigm. So yeah, I mean, science, what I think is science needs uh, to grow up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what impact do you think mushrooms can have on modern culture? Well, profound. I mean, they've had a profound impact on me. If used responsibly with uh, reverence, we know that they are doing these studies that, of course, the uh, mushrooms assist with people of PTSD. Now, PTSD, by the way, is just an Orwellian term of making it sound nicey-nice. It's shell shock. PTSD is shell shock. So these people, uh, these uh, soldiers come back absolutely just, you know, thrashed and um, they're a mess. And so the uh, mushrooms help those guys and, and women tremendously with that in ways that, of course, drugs are just Band-Aids. Those won't do a thing. They'll just take you down. Also, for people who are uh, nearing the end of their life, they have found that it gives them this very deep and profound experience where they they no longer fear death because, of course, they've been taken into this very sacred territory. Uh, they will assist with depression. What they are is they are teachers, the mushrooms, so they'll open you to your behaviors, just like the ayahuasca will do, open you to your uh, addictions. They will make you much more aware of how you have been operating. I see them as a tremendous uh, assist to going into our own shadow and looking at what has been running us from the shadows, which becomes your Achilles heel if you're not aware of it, if you're not conscious of it. So the mushrooms will help you become conscious of that. And you know what? They'll make you a better person. If your heart's in the right place and you really, really want to do the work on yourself, they'll help you do that. And we need that because we have the walking wounded in this culture now and a lot of lost souls, a lot, a lot of lost souls. Now, mushrooms aren't uh, right for everybody, of course, no, they'll be, you know, work for some people. Not everyone is going to be called to that, but they will also assist you as a teacher or someone who uh, is a practitioner in some way to better assist the people who come work with you as they have done for me. They have affected the uh, shamanic work that I do profoundly in these past three years, profoundly, so that I have much more insight into the person I am working with. I can go very, very deep, deep into uh, what is making them tick and bring that into their awareness compassionately, you know, and, and, and help them to, to uh, make a course correction, I call it, or heal that piece. That is due to the mushroom and, and what it has given me of over a year of working very, very reverently with it. And I don't uh, work with the mushrooms uh, to that degree anymore. I don't need to. That's the other piece, you know, and the medicine will tell you. It said to me, you know, your, our work here is complete. You're welcome to come and visit and sit and have a chat. And I, I, I call it going through the portal to sit on God's lap and talk to the spirits. So yes, every once in a while, I will go in and, and do that and have a conversation. But I got what I needed to get. And bottom line, as a result of that, I am very comfortable in my own skin. Very comfortable. I have nothing to defend. And I don't have to avert my eyes from anyone. And, and that is from the medicine. So that's huge. Now, if more women and men could get to that point, you would have a very different world. Things would be more thoughtfully and more carefully orchestrated if we had that. And so I see that coming. That is a possibility, you know, if more people will bring themselves to this. But, you know, we also have to watch the ego stuff, too, because people have a lot of ego inflation, I'm sure, as you have seen in the ayahuasca community. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. Um, spiritual one-upmanship and whatnot. And so I, you know, just have to keep mm -hmm. a good sense of humor with all of that. <laughs> and hopefully they will move through that. That's just a staging. Hopefully they get past that and, you know, because that's sort of nonsense. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing your very profound thoughts about how these plant medicines can really bring us to be at ease um, and to a place of self-love and self-respect from where we can tap into the unshakable confidence that comes with knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're very welcome. Another thing, too, I think that mushrooms can really do, which I see in Brazil with the thriving contemporary ayahuasca culture, it, it's it's wonderful because it's legal in Brazil, right? Yeah. Um, what the ayahuasca is doing in Brazil, it's it's sparking an eco-village movement where people oh, yes, are moving like to, and they're trying to live off grid and they're living in communities and the communities are organized around drinking medicine together. And, you know, instead of watching TV or going to like a concert, I mean, I love concerts and all that, but instead of watching TV or listening to the radio, they're getting together around a fire and singing medicine songs with each other. Yes. I was saying to someone that singing is something we've lost in this culture. Mothers used to sing to their children. Dads used to sing. I mean, and we used to sing together. That is beautiful. I love that that is returning. That's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I saw when I was traveling in the uh, the indigenous territories of Acre, Brazil, is uh, so I, I um, uh, visited the village of a, a friend of mine who's a political leader of uh, from the Kuntanawa tribe. His name is Haru Kuntanawa, and so he's a shaman in in a certain way. Like you know, he's not like a, his his dad's really just very knowledgeable with the plants and all that. And Haru is really actually much more of a political leader, but he does serve medicine. You know, he has like hundreds and hundreds of songs. And what he likes to do is he'll invite people, he'll invite the tribes over, he'll invite the seringueros over, the rubber tappers over, or, you know, and have these political meetings in um, like their like three or four day political get togethers in the village where the night before they will sit up all night and drink ayahuasca and sing and go through their profound healing and all that, get rid of, dump all the baggage, get really clear and then the next day they will be in political meetings all day. Yeah. What a great way to have diplomatic meetings to resolve difficult issues around land rights and uh, uh, ca- illegal cattle ranching and uh, a recognition in the federal government and all the things that they talk about. You know, it's, it's just, could you imagine if the UN did that? We'd be in such a much better place, you know, right. in our international community. Yeah, but that really, the UN, I'm sorry to say, is a criminal syndicate. And, um, you know, there's no way that good people like us would ever run countries or make decisions in the way that the world leaders are. And those who have held the reins of power, they don't operate like that. Otherwise, we would have a very, very different world. So, yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 that, that is the power of uh, the planet of this earth of nature, that she will provide us with uh, something like a, a plant of that nature that would assist us to get along and to make those kind of decisions. And that those decisions actually uh, should be uh, considered from a very profound perspective, not just necessarily from the, the left brain, right? But bring in I see that way of of what they're doing is, you know, they're bringing in the whole picture, the macrocosm. Yeah, not just the what can I get out of it and what can we negotiate together. It's like, where is this going ultimately? How is it going to affect our families, our children down the road, the earth upon which we depend for our very survival, right? Right. And governments are corporate entities. So corporation, that's a whole different thing. In Mm -hmm. other words, you know, they've got a whole different set of, of, uh, you know, interests, shall we say, that uh, they are dealing with when they do their dealings together. And it's not about the people. It's about assets and commerce and all of that. It's very, very different. And it makes a mess as we are seeing. So yeah, so these guys have got it going on. There is a tremendous amount that we can learn from the native people. And you know, your people, my people, we're all native people, we're all indigenous. I always say the Romans got to us faster. That's all. They got to our cultures, you know. I mean, I've got Celt and Scottish and Norse and me and French. And, you know, my people got annihilated. Their culture was, you know, lost 2,000 years ago. 
in any case, so we've lost that. But but I know if you trace those cultures back far enough, they were doing, I'm sure, something similar, something similar in the way that they would meet. And if they didn't use plants, they I'm, I guarantee they went into ceremony and they called in their gods so that when they had these these uh, very, very important discussions about, you know, land and territory and this and that, you know, it was done, you know, with some consciousness. That said, of course, there were many who just sort of went in very warlike and, and, and took. But I, I know that there has been, you know, great consciousness because those people show us that. They show us that. They've been doing that for probably eons, those people. So to me, that is a more human way of behaving, of operating. Mm, wow. So I could keep talking with you for a long time, but I just want to do a little time check and say that we're you know, about at the end of the segment. And I'd love to leave you with a last question. Okay. This is my favorite question. So okay. how have your visionary experiences with the mushroom brought you closer to your life purpose? Oh, wow. Wow. I feel that one. They helped me, first of all, to shed everything that was false in my life and all my false perceptions about myself and, uh, and the people uh, around me. So they did quite an internal cleansing of, of what was not working for me. They called me. I mean, they called me and they called me to my purpose. And they told me they gave me my spiritual name. Uh, if you will, or my spirit name, um, and and uh, you know they 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 guided me. They they guided me, and uh, and also of course it wasn't just a one time or couple times deal. I was directed to that medicine every month for over a year, big doses. You know, it was a, it was not no small thing, and so it deepened me into my work as a shamanic practitioner. I was apprentice to that medicine. That is how I look at it. Mm. I was, that was, plant was my teacher or my shaman. And that's what I apprenticed with. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, so it has made me, you know, a good shamanic woman, a good, I am a good medicine woman. I am, I do good work and I help people. And uh, my medicine is owl, which I sees in the dark. And also my medicine is the bees, and so that's another show, but I, I, I do bee venom therapy and I help people with that as well. I keep bees and they come to me in my dreams. So yes, so thank you to the mushroom. I mean, it has brought me and deepened me into my life's purpose. Absolutely. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. How can we best stay in touch with you, Shauna? I have a website, shaunahome.com, and my name is spelled S like Sam, H-O-N-A-G-H home, H-O-M-E dot com. And so my website lists my classes that I offer, my books are on my website that I've written, my phone number, my email, all of that. And I make myself very accessible. Wonderful. So. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I wish you a beautiful day. Ah, thank you, Lorna. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. People and resources mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes at entheonation.com slash seven. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd so appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review this show. This increases our visibility in the iTunes marketplace and helps this information reach more people in the world who truly need it. Now, if you're inspired to begin cultivating a conscious relationship with the mushroom spirits, get started by downloading the free guide to navigating visionary states with sacred plant medicines, which outlines the different types of non-embodied spirits that you might encounter in the visionary state and how you can start communicating with them. You can get this ebook by texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to receive consciousness-raising content delivered straight to your inbox. Now, I'm going to end this episode with one of my all-time favorite tracks, Minor Cause, from the album Dusk to Dawn by Emancipator. See you next time. Bye-bye.